0: This is Michelle McKenzie and welcome to the WTF podcast where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. There is a saying that a delay is not denial. It is only a sign that you need peace, patience, and trust that in perfect timing, what you want will come to you. My guest is the personification of this saying. Afiong williams is a Nigerian entrepreneur and founder and CEO of Real Fruit. Real Fruit processes and distributes locally grown fruits to over 450 supermarkets, airlines, schools, hotels, and export sales via Amazon.com. Real Fruit is an award-winning brand, winning not only an international women in business competition in the Netherlands, but also the Creative Focus Africa competition. Afiong was also recognized by Ford's Magazine as one of the most promising 30 under 30 entrepreneurs in 2015. In this episode, we'll discuss Afiong's nine-year journey to raising Series A funding, the role trust and vision played during the wait, her advice for women in agribusiness, and how to meet the $200 billion demand for financing for agribusinesses. Now, a quick sidebar before we get into the interview. As you know, entrepreneurs are very busy people. We caught Afiang on the fly in this episode, so there might be some slight background noises. I encourage you to try and ignore those and focus on the content that is rich and gem-filled. So stay calm and listen on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So we'll get into the conversation, starting with why you quit your job with Endeavor in South Africa to move back to Nigeria to do what no one else in Nigeria was doing at the time, which is processing dry fruit commercially. What is the problem that you were solving when you founded Real Fruit? And why was this problem so compelling to you?
1: Um so yes, uh, as you mentioned, I had a really, really good job, which actually was um my um starting point into and foray to entrepreneurship and what really propelled me to become an entrepreneur. Um in my job at Endeavour I worked with entrepreneurs and what I admired most about them was um the fact that they took an outsized risk and that risk meant reward not just for themselves but for um their countries, especially around job creation and producing um better goods and services for the communities at large. And um, after four years I kept thinking I wanted to delve deeper I wanted to work closer with entrepreneurs uh, because uh, job creation began to uh, nag me as a problem unemployment was a really big challenge in um, in South Africa where I was but also in my home country of Nigeria and I really wanted to do something about it and I I just realized that you know becoming an entrepreneur was probably my best bet at at really tackling that problem that really um, motivated me to quit my job and be- begin a business. So when I was looking for a business um, to start, it was really just uh, a vehicle to create jobs, especially for young people and women. And um, I picked a sector that I thought would do that, would maximize that uh, being agribusiness. And I picked fruit because uh, I read online that fruit, the fruit value chain created more jobs than other traditional value chains. And that's kind of how I got into my um, into my sector. And then when I was just looking at how to launch and what product to launch, um, dried fruit just seemed like an opportunity because it didn't exist in Nigeria. So, of course, the naive... Um, you know entrepreneur as I was said oh I'd be a first mover and I'd be the first one to capture all the market etc but what I didn't realize was was being a pioneer also means you have to build a market that doesn't exist and that takes time Um, but that's really the maze that landed me back and I told my mom mom I'm putting my job and I'm buying a one-way ticket back home and she um, she said okay which which sometimes I ask her why she she did that (laughs) and why she was so supportive (laughs) and um, um, and I did that I, I took the risk and I came Back home, and I've never looked back.
0: Well, I'm glad that your mom was supportive of that because I think out of love and care for you, she probably would have asked you if you were crazy. But the fact that she just said okay was good. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> she said uh she said once I bought my ticket she knew I was serious but till then she she just was letting me dream and then it became real once I I quit and I bought my ticket and I decided to go home and and of course my mother's been a great support for me ever since and one of the anchors of this business um so I've had her support for for over a decade and it's been wonderful.
0: I think it's great that you said she just allowed you to dream. Mm-hmm. Because I think that being able to be a dreamer is a ha- is a hallmark of being an entrepreneur, and also yeah. that naivete, right? <laughs> because if you yes, knew all yes. that you were going to confront, you probably wouldn't start. No, so
1: I would not have.
0: <laughs> yeah, in 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 this scenario, I think ignorance is a little bit bliss. <laughs> so,
1: hundred percent.
0: I'm going to read this quote by someone you know quite well. She's an investor in your business, Auto Sakwe. and it says. Remember you're special. You have a unique ability to remain steadfast in light of challenges. So don't ever get frazzled or easily dissuaded. Trust yourself and believe in your vision. How important was it to you to remain steadfast and believe in your vision during the nine years it took to raise your Series A? Did you ever feel like quitting at any point during that time when it might have looked like it wouldn't happen for you?
1: i mean that's such a powerful quote because i think that's you know for me probably one of the biggest advantages uh or or i would say traits that has carried me over the nine years um steadfastness you know um persistence grit um just the ability to stick with things when it's hard and when it's unclear and when it's difficult and of course as a pioneering entrepreneur bringing a new product to market i the first 5 years of my um journey was just that it was you know wondering when when the when the tide would turn when the inflection point would come when i would stop getting called to to take back my products because it was selling slowly or that people didn't want it or, you know, you know, just all the questions um, that I asked myself around why I I decided to do this, even when the ultimate goal I was chasing, which was creating jobs, happened slowly because we weren't growing so quickly in the early days that, I mean, my first five years, I think we only had like maybe 20 employees and I wanted to create a thousand jobs. And I was like, you know, this is not even fulfilling my inner mission. So um, there was a lot of doubt. And I think just uh, luckily, being the person I am, who is very um, one um, driven internally, internally motivated, um, who loves to finish what she starts, and who just believes um, again in, in 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 you know in the pursuit of what of my purpose, my life's purpose, I, I kept at it, and I'm so glad I did. But and um, yes, you, you one has to build that resolve, one has to build that internal belief and self-belief, and one has to really become, um, you know, your own motivator and cheerleader to really, you know, be able to drag you through the um, you know the tough times I remember in the early days it was a lot of crying on the phone to my mom and then obviously, and then later my husband I would cry to him all the time, it's all over, you know, just you know very doomsday and and my husband has been a great uh, mentor to me as well, just always reminding me to be solution oriented because that's where I feel empowered, that's where I feel purposeful, that's where I feel powerful that if there's a challenge or problem instead of you know feeling hard done by um feeling that you can find a way around it is where you where I draw a lot of strength and when I do so I get more confident etc so you know this idea of just having having a lot of radical self-belief is very important in entrepreneurship um because at, at, at a point you have to you have to be able to you know gather yourself right your family and friends love you but they you know they can't keep on you know carrying your emotional baggage all the time and you have to just also be strong and have faith and and i think all those things i've our muscles I've developed over time. And now it takes a lot to rile me up. You know, I have faced enough that even if I heard there was a fire in my factory right now, I would already be thinking of what, how we would move past it. You know, I would not be overwhelmed or, or downcast. Cause I just feel I'm so, I, I'm so, you know, I feel I feel so strong that I could actually I we could actually solve and overcome any challenge that comes our way. Um, but it's not happened over time. In the beginning of my business, I was very nervous, very doubtful. A lot of anxiety over why, you know, if I chose the right idea, etc. cetera. And um, I had to work through that. I had to build my own confidence, build my own self-belief. And, and it's paid off now. Um, and I think those things through the journey have helped me were also very helpful in my Raising finance in even selling the story that i'm I'm out to build, you know because it's still a big vision that I haven't achieved yet, but i I come with a lot of conviction that i can I can achieve it because I've done a lot to prove that in the past so i, I, I you know I, I don't I don't think an entrepreneur can survive without having a strong sense of self belief and a strong sense of purpose
0: so the things I think I just heard you say that are really important for. Surviving that period of weight is radical self-belief, having people, shoulders to cry on when you need it, but knowing Mm -hmm. that you that cannot always be the default, (laughs) right? Yes, yes. (laughs) And also Mm -hmm. in terms of dealing with stress and overwhelm to be able to look past the current situation Mm -hmm. to where you're trying to go and using that as a motivating force. Absolutely. I have a question for you what did you do to address market adoption of dried fruits because you talked about the fact that you would get calls to come take the product back because it wasn't being sold quickly enough mm-hmm. so I know there is a barrier and that's something that you deal with when you're a first mover right yes. the first one in the market trying to bring something new how did you address that to get uptake of dried fruits for people to build that demand
1: that's a very good question um you know I think to be honest that the, the, there's two main answers. One was that there's, it takes time. So I, I took the time. There, there's just no, you know, nowhere around that. And as long as I knew, I was sure that Nigerians liked the product, they liked the taste. Um, it was more about, could we get it to them conveniently enough? And could they keep seeing it and buying it repeatedly to, for it to become a staple? And, and that process takes longer than anyone would imagine. Um, I remember when, um, you know, one of my friends told me, it took him five years to raise money for his factory. And I said, oh my God, Never, it would never take me five years. I, I would quit. I couldn't be in this business for five years without, you know, scaling up. And, and it it actually took five years for us to just be a, assured that the market wanted our products So we, we we took the time. We didn't stop putting our products in stores. Um, in nigeria specifically when i moved back there was just a ballooning and a blossoming of formal retail so convenience stores pharmacies supermarket chains um which really helped with the adoption because now a lot more people were shopping in modern retail outlets um so it was easy easier for us to get our products back i mean it, it started getting progressively easier and we just said you know what if we're everywhere so put boots on the ground, hire a lot of sales reps. If we're everywhere and we know this product is good because when we poll customers one-on-one, they like the taste, they order, Um, we just have to keep pushing till till it becomes you know till everything comes together and that's what it what happened um and then we started seeing our sales growing really rapidly and we just started seeing that we were doubling our revenues even as at last year we more than doubled our revenues over 2020 so we know that there's still a lot of growth um opportunity for the business and 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 we just i just didn't anticipate it would take that long but there is um there is a time it takes and, and entrepreneurs need to be aware of that but in that time you cannot stop putting your product in front of customers' faces, listening to their feedback and just improving the product as much as you can for them um, and we, we did all of that um, and at the same time really learning and understanding the market better than anybody else I I believe you know building knowledge and learning about the sector as a whole was also it's also part of our biggest competitive advantage so I use that time as well to just understand like what are the taste differences of my of Nigerian customers across different um you know, regions, what does seasonality of fruit mean for our business model, all sorts of things. We were just always learning and growing and innovating because we're the first mover. So um, we we, we stayed the course and we were persistent and we were very proactive. Um, In the beginning, nobody would distribute our products. Um, nobody would actually take it off our off our hands and 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 shelve it so we did it ourselves and today we have a fleet of over 15 cars and over 20 salespeople in in the country delivering our products to over 600 stores in nigeria so that has now what be what was our huge challenge and a huge burden has now become one of our biggest competitive advantages because we are directly connected to our customers through these retail points and it's 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 absolutely game changing for our business so um, yeah we were very proactive we hit the streets we you know I sold everywhere I did everything and um, our team as we grew just focused on it and then it turned around so um, that's kind of how we we achieve success in that realm.
0: I have a mentee who just started a business and I'm going to make sure that she listens to this episode and to this part in particular about the power of patience Why? and Why? that it takes time. And because Mm -hmm. it might be taking longer than you think, it doesn't mean that you're failing.
1: Oh, no, no, not at all. It just means
0: that you need to keep at it and to keep innovating and trying different things. And I liked that you were out there doing the work yourself because when you start bringing on staff, it's easy to tell them that, hey, I know what your job is. I did your job, right? So I'm not asking you to do something I have not done myself. Yeah. And I think that's very important.
1: Yes. I mean, now, as an entrepreneur in the early days, you, you have to get your hands dirty and you have to be curious about every part of the business, even the parts you don't enjoy. I mean, people, I tell people all the time, they're parts of my business. I don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole, but it's my job to know enough about that to be able to direct and make sure that, you know, we're, we're growing. And so, um, yeah, it, it is important to get your hands dirty for sure.
0: Based on your fundraising experience, so this is a series of questions. So first, what went well? Second, what are three pieces of advice you would give to other women in agribusiness about fundraising? And third, what do you wish, if anything, that you could have done differently? So what went well? So what went well is that
1: we raised funding and I, I you know that's a huge achievement for not just me as in my sector but in general. In general, most enterprises don't go on to raise series A funding um, and actually don't raise funding outside of their family and friends, etc. So I'm very very fortunate and blessed and actually privileged to be one that has been able to scale that hurdle. Look for milestone funding, be very, you know, disciplined and like specific about what you're raising, raise small, smaller amounts. Two is, um, um, you know, focus on on getting your documents in a row. And I think three is really, I I forget my third point, but um, I think, what did I say? I can't remember. Sorry. I hope you have that in the recording.
0: I do. You said something important and it's about chunking the vision. So that the people that you're pitching it to can understand it, connect to it, and buy in to it. Yes, yes. Right? If you yes. make it too big for them, they just don't see it. So you have to chunk yes. the vision and make it relatable. Yes, to yes. Something so that you they can understand.
1: Yes. Yeah, so you have to be flexible, sort of be, be sticky on your vision, but flexible on the path. So, so that, um, you know, you can navigate the realities. Oh yes. And the last thing I said was revenue growth. So please focus on growing your revenues. Um, you know, all, all too often you hear entrepreneurs tell you, Oh, we're, we're addressing a $500 billion food market in Africa. And that doesn't mean anything when you don't have, you haven't demonstrated how you were getting that piece of the pie. So those things matter. Um, you know, the commercials, the financing and obviously being able to chunk your vision up you know chop and change it um to suit the realities of your financing needs and options oh and the last thing that I would okay so the, the third question you asked me is what would I have done better I wasted a lot of time talking to investors who did not um who were not interested in my sector really really squarely and I I think um obviously it it it's you know for, a hallmark of entrepreneurs how hard you hustle and you work hard and you wanna work hard at, you know, chasing the kind of funding that you need to grow. But what I realize over the years is that if you don't meet four out of five check boxes of investors, they will not invest in you. So your best bet is to Find the ones that would, uh, by looking at the track record and seeing if they've invested in companies like you. Start to network with them. It may take two to three years. I was in talks with my investor for five years, keeping them updated on my progress. I, they, I, I was, I was partnered with them even before they raised and closed their fund. Um. And what that happened was the moment um, they raised the fund, I was number two um, on the on the pipeline to get investment. So start networking with the right investors that would look at your um, your space um, and for whom you meet a lot of that criteria. I, I I think it's a waste of time, honestly, to be talking to investors if they've not invested in your geography in your sector before, or if you know if they don't like you know typically do the size of your business, they will the likelihood that they will bend is near zero. So I, I spent a lot of time, and I think if I had focused more um, on on finding the, entrepreneurs and the the investors that fit my um, fit my my profile directly, I would have had more success so that's kind of what I would adv- what, what I would have done differently um in my time raising funding. <laughs>
0: I think that's important. So it's not just enough to hustle. You got to hustle smart. Don't hustle hard, hustle smart and make sure that you're doing your homework and that you're approaching Mm -hmm. investors that are likely to invest in you. So I'm speaking with Afyang Williams, award-winning entrepreneur and co-founder of Real Fruit, a Nigerian company that processes and distributes locally grown fruits about her Series A raise and the $200 billion financing gap for agribusiness. Afyang, I would like to ask you, another important question. (laughs) And before I do that, I would like to read something that you said. This investment takes real fruit, referring to your Series A, takes real fruit to the next level. We can meet increased demand for our products and tackle one of the biggest challenges, raw material supply. We're thrilled that this will unleash a greater impact on our value chain by increasing farmer incomes and creating up to 300 decent jobs for Nigerians. And I'm glad that you said decent jobs and not just jobs. Yeah. What, are I mean, that's your, what, what are your biggest, boldest ideas and vision for real fruit? And how does this raise help to get you closer to that bold vision?
1: Uh, this is a great question. Thank you so much for it. Um, you know, like I'm glad you you highlighted the decent jobs because um I, I you know that's been my mission since before I even knew what a, creating a decent job meant. I wanted jobs that provide young people in Nigeria dignity um and op- particularly opportunities for young women. um and that has shown in my business, um and I'm really proud of some of the successes we've had uh, for 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 us, um obviously manufacturing jobs and just more formalized jobs offer things that um you know um offer more security to to our employees offer things like health insurance pensions and all these little social benefits that really add value and even some of our employees get access to loans and um you know be are able to further their education so really working provides a lot of opportunities for people to self-actualize and and that for me is the goal if I'm going to create a job I wanted to help somebody as much as it can to become the best um, version of themselves so I that that really inspires me and even till today is what inspires me um, you know, our series A funding has unlocked what I, I believe is, is really the next level of my company's goal, which is to really be an ecosystem leader in the fruit value chain. Um, you know, when you start an agribusiness in Nigeria or in Africa, you realize that where even if you're playing in one sector, you end up having to dabble in other sectors because there's huge inefficiencies and, um, you need to solve problems across your value chain to defend your core business. So where, you know, in other markets, you could just uh, make a call and order, um, you know 40 tons of fruit in Nigeria if you don't know the farms that will give you that and you send your trucks there and you make sure you know the farms are, are producing well and are producing the quality you will not get anything to feed your factory so we have started playing this role where we're, we're really adding value at all levels of the value chain from our distribution network to our processing research and development innovating on new products that don't exist um, for instance we're the first company to have like created shelf-stable coconut water that we're rolling out into stores, which is a waste product that we're turning into value, and these are things that you know are not necessarily core to our business, but we have to do to scale our business, and th- these are the old visions that excite me, that can I develop and innovate new products that don't exist currently and continue to add value to my value chain, which then, you know, brings new knowledge, creates more jobs, um, creates more products and services for Nigerians. Um, even if I, if I take it down to our farm, my big vision is really to work with over 2,000 fruit farmers, resuscitate them to be able to grow better quality fruit than they currently grow which means that we have to provide them with improved seedlings improve to to you know to start planting improve their yield and move these farmers from sort of smallholder poor to middle income and that's a huge feat but and it requires you know a lot of Um, you know, sort of channeling resources to them that they don't currently have. But I want to see a future in the next five to ten years of this business where I can see that my business enabled all of that. It enabled not just, you know, creating a thousand direct jobs. It enabled, you know, two thousand farmers becoming middle income, you know, farmers with a ready market for their product. And it also enabled the, the research and development and innovation of new products that are created here, developed here for the country and for the world. And for me, that would be huge success. It would be that you know this business went above and beyond just being a commercial entity to really lifting up, um, um, to li- lifting up an industry. And and hopefully, when that happens, what 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 it would do would be attract more people, more jobs, more processing into the man- and into the fruit space. And hopefully, people coming behind me won't spend ten years or nine years raising funding. It would happen less because more problems have been solved. So that uh, that is my big vision, and it's one I'm really excited to tackle now. And, of course, having spent 10 years, um, you know, it's our 10th anniversary this year, so I'm really proud of that as well. Um, you know, solving problems, uh, I even feel more ready and more confident and excited to take on bigger challenges and solve them. So, so those are my big goals and I'm really working towards them and they really, you know, en- you know en- energize me um, to, to, to do more.
0: Happy anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And I work in agriculture, so I know how important that value chain strengthening is and working to develop the producers at the base of your value chain.
1: Yes. It's a must, yeah.
0: it's, it's, It's a must. It definitely is. You spoke at an event addressing the $200 billion demand for finance for agribusinesses. What are the transformative changes that you desire to see That might help supply meet demand?
1: I think one of the biggest um, biggest ones is I would love to see more investment going into primary agriculture. I know it's very risky and there's just a lot of disincentive. But but to be honest, I don't think that we um, as a continent or even country can really um, you know continue to really build and scale agribusinesses if if that part if that part of the sector is not you know treated with um, you know urgency and with commercial financing. So what happens now is a lot of donor support is what is funding any development in that sec- in that part of the value chain and it's usually very um it's 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 very prescribed it, it's not it's not really um it's not really the money is not really free to do what i think needs to be done with it which is allow for more commercialization of farms and commercialization of growth of crops it's usually you know restricted in some way so i would love to see one donors play a more commercial role in that space um to see greater results and to um get more you know more more models that enable private funding to to really focus on commercial agriculture because that if you, if you don't have um like i said commercial supply chain i mean primary agri- um, primary production happening it's really stifling to scaling um you know processing and agribusiness because raw material supply will forever be the biggest risk to any um processing company so that's the big one i would like to see change um and um you know i think there's a lot of you know opportunity there because i think it's still very profitable um you know you have um, some crops that that make 40 percent margin and 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 of course you know once that starts to happen at scale the food prices come down so food food prices can only come down when there's huge commercial activity going on that brings down all the prices of like logistics and all that stuff across the value chain but right now you know the 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 smallholder model is very limiting because it makes it's fragmented and makes aggregation logistics and all this stuff expensive. Uh, we've been mapping um, mangoes from our source and the cost of transport is more expensive than the cost of the, of, of actually per kg of mango. So it, it's hugely inefficient. And I think only commercial activity sort of solves that problem or reduces that burden, which starts to make, um, you know, more commercial sense, bring down prices of food and really enable value added and manufacturing in agribusiness.
0: Now, what are the three most important lessons that you've learned so far from your entrepreneurship journey that you want to share with female entrepreneurs in particular? Um, so I would say that uh,
1: persistence is everything. That's the first one. I think that, um, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is a hot, one of the hardest pursuits that you will go through and, and, and great things are hard. They don't come easy. So, having the mindset and building the mindset I don't think you have it from day one but continually building the mindset that allows you to forge ahead and um, just being persistent is one of the biggest lessons I would I would endeavor any female entrepreneur to have the second is about um, you know one of one of the biggest things that asked that have helped me one you know looking at my business even through the lens of my husband is that I need to be I needed to be bolder I learned to be bolder so um, when I started my business I would be very shy about talking about and when I looked at my husband pitch my business, I'd be like, you know, you're lying, like you're, you're selling something that doesn't exist. Um, and even even in even in the way, like, you know, he would, you know, encourage me to ask people for help without, you know, all the pleasantries and all the, you know, fear about what they would say. It's like, just go for it and just, you know, ask. And and, and I started doing it. And most times people want to help. So I think for female entrepreneurs, there's this thing about us being a bit too modest and a bit too, um, you know, maybe... Um, how would I say, like a bit too... Uh uh, you know wanting to be very very like you know you know sort of not not sell a bigger than vision or bold vision because it may feel like you know you're not being authentic but i found that people resonate with big visions number one and number two when you're bold and you ask demand things you usually get it and and i think that's something i've learned along the way so i would i would advise um people to um you know to women to be bolder and to just you know not be shy about um you know, articulating what they want in their visions and also just um, asking for what they want. So I was, I used to be very shy about asking people for things, especially people I didn't know, I had no relationship with. And I, it turned out that if you ask most people you don't know for something, they will actually help you. I think, um, you know, it's, and I'm now good at doing that. So I really think that's helped me a lot. And the third one is really um, two things one, building your network and gathering knowledge. I cannot overstate how much. Um, learning from others has saved me mistakes in terms of money, in terms of my time, and in terms of just going the wrong way. And building a strong network has really been the invisible hand that has made my business what it is. And I encourage women to really be focused on networking and learning from others and, and really seeking out the experience ahead of them to to really just leapfrog um, as much time. I say, you know, for me, it's not just about, it's a lot about what I don't do versus what I do and and getting the right advice to navigate the path I'm on um, that saves me time, saves me money and makes sure that I am, forging ahead has also been just super valuable to me. So I would say um, your network is your your net worth and and it really, really um, helps here, especially in a country like Nigeria where you know, it's kind of low trust and, and you really need people to vouch for you and, 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 and social relationships matter a lot in advancing, advancing, you know, your ideas and goals and things like that. Um, building a strong network has really helped me. So those are the three things I would advise women to focus on. And um, I think that, um, you know, those things have guided me and, and really advanced me in my entrepreneurial journey.
0: I like it. The imposter syndrome for women, it's real. and we just have to get much better at asking for what we need and not being so afraid because if we do ask, we just might get what we ask for. So Afiyang, as we're wrapping up, what inspires you and gives you hope? Um,
1: I think I am mainly inspired by, you know, I am inspired by people from all walks of life who who, you know, who really just, you know, uh, you know, take the the cards life deals them and really, um, you know, just advances and, and try to move forward in any way. So I draw inspiration not from just from 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 people who are persevering who are even in situations where they have less than I do and just you know come from worse off but just are completely driven to to self-actualize to make the best of their lives I think I just I just find there's so much power in that so I draw inspiration from that I draw inspiration from myself like I mentioned I'm a very motivated person so there's something about me telling myself I'm going to do something and doing it I'm a Christian so I definitely run my business like somebody who is um on god's uh, god's grace and mercy to carry me through and um i also um draw faith and inspiration from my employees They're they are a big reason i started my business and silently and you know you know telling them and also just observing how much they grow and how they they push forward and how they believe in the company really inspires me deeply so um i try i try to you know i try to really um you know just just really focus on what my why and and my why um of, of, of starting and growing this business and continuing to believe in it and um you know it's also very much linked to my purpose in life um and the reason i feel like i was put on this earth so there's a really powerful tie there that really drives me forward so a lot of things um inspire me um but but um i think you know mainly people people who are just who are just um trying to succeed at life are really, no matter what challenges face them, are really inspirational to me.
0: Thank you so much, Afiyang. I think that was a great question to end on. Thank you so much for stopping by the WTF podcast. Tell us where we can follow you and Real Fruit on social media.
1: Sure. Um, our you know we're 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 on Instagram at Real Fruit R E E L F R U I T. Um, my my handle on Twitter is at Afion Williams, my full name. We're on LinkedIn as well at Real Fruit, and then obviously our website realfruit.com. Um, so um, that's uh, those you can get in touch and ask any questions, and you know, um, hopefully I'm looking forward to engaging with your listeners, um, after the podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Afiyang. To my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like it, if you do like it, rate it, review it, download it, or share it. Episodes drop on Fridays on the Alive Podcast Network. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more. And don't forget to turn on notifications. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to worthofunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at where's the funding underscore podcast and follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. Join me next Friday for the next episode.